This week's episode of the Lone Star Outdoors Show proudly brought to you by Kent Cartridge and Fast Steel 2.0. Back when uh, I first got into serious waterfowling in college, Kent Cartridge made the most affordable premium load on the market. They are still doing the exact same thing with Fast Steel 2.0. It's the evolution of the OG of premium waterfowl loads and Fast Steel. Uh, but if you want a hard-hitting waterfowl load that doesn't leave you chasing cripples but doesn't hurt the pocketbook at the same time, check out Kent's Fast Steel 2.0, available in all of your favorite shot sizes. It's widely available at Cabela's, Bass Pro, Shields, you name it. And uh, you can find their entire dealer list at kentcartridge.com. Where'd you go, mountain girl? Did you roll off to the Cap Rock City? If Idaho Falls can't help you, I don't know what would. But God, I hope you're doing good. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody into SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. This is episode 594. Thanks to Mossberg, our presenting sponsor, as always. Man, it is great to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. Dove opener is in the books. The kids and I, well, I limited out in uh, about an hour. Had them back in or back at school by 9.30. Their butts were in their seats, and Mama was happy. Everybody wins. Well, the kids will tell you they didn't win in the deal because they still had to go to school, but uh, their opinion doesn't really matter that much. <laughs> Can you still say that uh, in 2021, that your kid's opinion doesn't matter? But it really, it's the old adage. If I want their opinion, I'll give it to them. They're my kids, right? It was funny, though, taking them to the school office, and you know they'd already been counted absent for the day. But I was like, for the day? Um, they're here at 930. They've missed an hour and a half. The lady's like, well, you can fill out this form. Like, was it a doctor's appointment? And I was like, no, it was family time hunting dove. She goes, okay, well, it won't be excused, but they, they won't be counted absent all day. I was like, I don't really care either way. Whatever. Uh, they had a blast. I'd love to be a, a fly on the wall when they were telling their friends why they were late to school. <laughs> I, it's sad, really, that more kids are uh, not experiencing the same thing. So take a kid hunting. Do it often, and man, the smiles made. That's all I need to see, how happy those kids were to be out there in the dove field with me and the dog. And Belle, God bless Belle, 11 years old. This was her 10th opening day. 15 birds found every one of them. And somehow, somehow, I made good on 15 out of 32 shots. If I've ever done better, I don't remember when. I shot... Sporting clays one time this summer, but I really think it was just that the dove were pretty much lighting right in my face. I, it, they put on a show. It was it was awesome. And they were pretty beat up when Bell would bring them back, looking back on it. That's probably what it was, right? Uh, three mojos out there, and they were just dive bombing right into them. But the kids were impressed. Of course, the next day, I went by myself with the dog. Eh, I got nine, but I think I shot 40 times. So the dove... Wise up quickly, but good times all around. Hope you either already made those memories or have plans to make them this weekend. 
Anyway, what are we doing today? Let me tell you all about it. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we're ready to rock and roll and off the top. Our good friend Ben Cassidy from SCI will be here. We've got exciting stuff to talk about. 2.1 million acres of land opened up to hunter access. That's big news. Um, Mo Pani, the I think he was uh, a lion that was shot in Zimbabwe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, could have been another Cecil-like catastrophe for the hunting community, but we've learned from that and got in front of this thing, put the facts out there, and it essentially went away despite a scathing smut piece written by Barstool Sports. So we'll get into all of that. Also, an uh, endangered species bill introduced by Raul Grijalva, but one that I think uh, might be the first time this guy's ever done anything positive for wildlife. Uh, he seems to always want to focus on wolves and bears and, you know, megafauna predator species. So um, we'll get into all of that with Ben, and then we'll switch gears and talk about Spartan Forge, brand spanking new technology that Bill Thompson came up with from almost, I think it was like two decades of military service specializing in intel and data collection. He's now applying that in the world of white-tailed deer, predicting their movements. And he spent years on the data collection component and then is coupling that with satellite imagery to give you an idea of when deer should be moving in your area. Uh, Fascinating stuff regarding Spartan Forge and, and how Bill came up with this concept and has been able to carry it out. So uh, that app will be coming out this month, and we're certainly excited to uh, to find out more about Spartan Forge. That's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. Guarantee you that. Let's do a quick giveaway. How about a three-pack of Crimson Talon Outlaws 100-grain broadheads? These are what I'm taking to New Mexico for archery elk this week. Um, absolutely love them. Use the 125-grain Outlaws in Africa with devastating results. Uh, so big fan of these. Just email the word broadhead, that's broadhead, to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com, and you're entered into this week's Crimson Talon Broadhead Giveaway. We'll be right back with SCI's Director of Government Affairs, Ben Cassidy, on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. If you don't want to know what I do to me when I lose control. Hey guys, Cable here, and if there's one service, one company that I rely on heavily when planning my next backcountry hunt, it's Onyx Hunt. They have, for a long time, set the gold standard when it comes to giving me the information I need to basically predict where I'm going to find animals. And if you can hone in on where the animals are going to be, you're going to be more successful. Onyx uses their own topo maps, plus, I mean, geographical features like watering holes or a meadow system that works its way down a mountainside where you know those elk are going to be feeding and muleys in the morning and evenings. Yeah, it'll show you that as well. Uh, plus, of course, private property boundaries. Where does the National Forest end? Where does Rancher Joe's property start? Yeah, it's going to show you that as well. So whether you're planning a backcountry hunt or just picking ambush points to hang your tree stands on your whitetail property, 
Onyx shows it all to you. They've got different layers you can apply to a, a specific grid or a piece of property. It's really rad. And here's the cool thing. You'll save 20% when you order your Onyx subscription by using my promo code LONESTAR20 when you check out at onxmaps.com. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at bobcatadvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit bobcatofdallas.com today. Hey folks, this is Zane Williams. Thank you for listening to the Lone Star Outdoors show. You're listening to my friend Cable Smith. Keep it tuned in. You can hear my engine humming, coming, rumbling up the road. And I know when you meet me at the fence line in the sunshine, you'll be looking fine in your bandana and your blue jeans. Baby, would you ride with me? Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here today as we are about to visit with SCI's Director of Government Affairs, Ben Cassidy. Much to discuss, but first, um, I'm going to read an email from one of our listeners, Nicholas Summerfield. You might recall a couple weeks ago I asked for you out-of-state folks, you know, is dove hunting a big deal where you're from? Everyone knows it's a freaking hoedown, big old party in Texas. But I don't think a lot of states have that tradition. And um, Nicholas Summerfield kind of confirmed that, writing in from West Virginia. Dove hunting is legal here, but it's not as big of a deal compared to Texas. I dove hunted a couple times and remember getting weird looks when he was in college. The ideology is that a bird that comes to the feeder is just pretty. But of course, once they ate them, that was a different story. Now he says his coworkers are big bird hunters and they go to the WMAs a lot. But nobody has dedicated dove fields. The state has a couple WMAs where they might plant a field of sunflowers. We have one lottery hunt for a WMA that is 100% dedicated to hunting doves. That's cool. Um, our WMA specializes in something like trophy whitetails, turkeys, bears, or waterfowl. And this WMA specializes in doves. And it only does doves. The bigger thing in West Virginia is the rifle season because it comes in during the week of Thanksgiving and in the mountain counties, the people get more excited about running bears with their dogs. And it's a numbers game of how many bears the group can get. The funny thing is the state pretty much makes it impossible to kill a bear without dogs and have outlawed all forms of baiting and sense. Huh? Interesting. So, uh, dove hunting, not a big deal. Hound hunting for bear is like West Virginia culture. For sure. But hey, uh, Nicholas, thanks for writing in. I'm glad that you are dove hunting and keeping that tradition alive in West Virginia. I appreciate the email. Uh, This segment of the show brought to you by Mossberg's 940 Pro semi-auto-loading platform. This is brand spanking new. And you can find uh, the one that I have is the 940 Waterfowl. You can find it and the uh, 940 Field as well right there at Mossberg.com. Com. It's brand spanking new, semi-auto-loading platform from Mossberg. And with that being said, let's bring him on right now, our old pal, Director of Government Affairs for SCI, Ben Cassidy. Thanks for being here. Yeah, likewise. Welcome back. or well, Thanks for having me back, and welcome back to the States, right, since we last talked. <laughs> yeah. 
I think we, we probably spoke in July before I went to Africa and then we didn't touch base in August. You've been quite busy, a busy yeah. time of the year for you. Just got back from the SCI board meeting and uh, there's, we'll, we'll talk about some of that stuff as well, but certainly great to catch up. Um, well, let's start, let's start with this, Ben. Let's just get right into it. The, um, there, it seems like there's always some kind of international import ban that, that hunters are facing. Call it trophy hunting, whatever. Trophy hunting is conservation. Hunting is conservation. Um, but I got to say kudos to uh, Campfire for recently um, petitioning, I, I, I suppose, is it President Biden here, his executive order on advancing racial equity and support for underserved communities. Okay, so we see that domestically all the time, right? Um, sure. I mean, that's why you did it. So why don't we see that internationally? Like, hey, or do we care about what third world countries need? And if we do, then we have to understand and accept the reality that hunting puts a value, a monetary value into those communities. I mean, I just got back from Africa and one of the trackers was like, Cable, it's so great to see you again. And it's even better. I got to see you twice this year because last year was canceled. But I just have to tell you that I didn't have a job for a year because of COVID. So hunting obviously puts food on his table, both financially and, you know, these people reap the benefits of the animals that hunters shoot. And I've seen it. I mean, these, they fight over the, the stomach lining, the internal organ, the intestines. Ben, yep. these, they, they fight over that stuff. It's a delicacy. Not to mention, I mean, just all the other venison, thousands and thousands of pounds every week that each safari company is just pumping right back into the local community. So, you know, obviously a monetary value, it, 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 it makes the people that otherwise, in, the indigenous people in Africa, by and large, they just see an animal. You know, they see meat. So we're, we are trying to change that perspective and say, hey, there's a value in this. Let's, let's conserve it. Let's, let's have it stick around. Yep. Um, and, they, and they do see that because of hunters' dollars feeding their families. But it's, it's just so idiotic when Americans sit over here and think they know what's, what's best for third world countries. Like, let's, do, let's enact racial equality here in the States. But then let's speak out of the other side of our mouth and say, hey, third world countries, let's condemn hunting. Let's shut down your commerce, your way to make a living because hunting's bad. Right. And I mean, kudos to Campfire for calling it out, right? Or at least mm -hmm. challenging it. You know, if, if, if there's an executive order from the president, so that carries with it the power of law. It's, it's the president telling the whole of government that they need to make their decisions, you know, looking through that lens of racial equity across the whole of government, then apply it to permitting for Fish and Wildlife Service. Actually listen to the folks on the ground that are doing the right things to manage their wildlife, their natural resources to better their communities. And they have it in their best interest to have that resource stick around for as long as humanly possible. So why don't we recognize that when determining permanent processing? And yeah, again, kudos to Campfire for, for recognizing that and calling it out. Now the challenge is to, is to make sure that we're not just making you know, this administration look like hypocrites, but getting them to do what's right and following the executive order. Right. And it seems like one side clearly picks and chooses when they want things to apply. But, you know, if it doesn't fit the narrative, then did it really happen? It doesn't <laughs> no. fit in this box. Right. Oh, no, it's two plus two equals five, you know. Right. Um, but anyway, OK, so cool stuff on that front. Um, what about access expansion? 
I also read in your, your newsletter, um, we just gained like 2.1 million acres of, uh, hunting public land access. Yeah. 2.1 million acres of access for hunting and fishing on wildlife refuges. Um, Uh final rule was announced by fish and wildlife on Tuesday. So just yesterday, um, you know, when Trump was in office, uh, secretary Zinke at the time signed an executive or a secretarial order, uh, that directed fish and wildlife to prioritize access. And so how the service acted on that was they started identifying places where it wasn't current, there weren't current opportunities or there were unavailable opportunities and opening them up. So in the last administration or the, the previous two years, you know, over 5 million acres were opened up and with that order still in place, the service, you know, continued to follow it and opened up 2.1 new acres of opportunity. Um, you know, our blog covers a number of the, the highlights, but it really goes across, you know, the most of the the lower 48 um you know awesome elk opportunities out in, out in idaho um, but then a lot of you know smaller opportunities that just didn't exist before like an expansion on turkey seasons or adding some some small game so mm-hmm. so uh, so i have to ask the question and i always want to be fair if if biden deserves credit then we'll we'll give him credit if he doesn't then we won't but is this his doing or is this just something that was re- going to happen regardless of whether Trump or Biden won the election? You know, it happened under his watch. They had an open comment period. I know that the folks against it that are suing the last administration still have a standing lawsuit um, to shut down this hunt fish rule is what we call it. Mm -hmm. Um, They put their comments in, but we spoke up as well. You know, Safari Club members in droves sent public comments in in support. Um, At the end of the day, um, it stood up. I think, you know, just going back it's directive that and priority that was put in place under the last administration that still stands, you know, if that was already underway and everyone already had their marching orders, the whole mass of folks that work at fish and wildlife, they weren't just going to reverse course on it until told not to do so. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it slipped through or was prioritized, but we're going to celebrate it. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll give credit where credit's due. At least yeah. it didn't get kiboshed under his watch. So He's got enough problems going on. <laughs> we'll give him a little credit for that. Get started. <laughs> uh, well, Ben, we're going to work in a quick break here. We'll come back and get into how we as a hunting community avoided a Cecil-like fiasco with the Mopani, the lion situation. Uh, much to the thanks of uh, FCI's efforts, by the way. Uh, that segment brought to you by Vortex Optics and the Vortex Wear lineup. Everything from socks, which I wore dove hunting, and shorts, by the way, uh, which I wore in the dove field last week. Uh, they've got the Sunslayer hoodie. Of course, they've got caps, t-shirts, leisure wear, flannel shirts. They've got it all. Vortex Wear has something for everybody. Um, when I was up there at headquarters a couple weeks ago, they were like, hey, pick out something for your wife. Got her a nice tank top. Check it out. Vortex Wear. You can find all of their apparel at vortexoptics.com, and you'll save 20% off your entire order when you use my promo code LONESTAR20. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Please me. Cable here, and if you're listening to this show, you probably like ARs. And I'm not talking about antler restrictions. I'm talking about, you know, ARs, modern sporting rifles. And Timber Creek Outdoors has 
the best way I've found to take your AR to the next level. It's the Enforcer Kit. It features high-end performance parts and jaw-dropping looks. It's perfect for sportsmen, competitors, firearms, enthusiasts, and people who trust their lives to their equipment, like you and I. When combined together, these parts improve usability, as well as ergonomics, big word there, and dependability of any small framed modern sporting rifle. Timber Creek products are manufactured by Americans in the USA, God bless America, and they implement uncompromising quality control and offer a lifetime warranty. They've got a bunch of different color options, something for everybody. I've got a Hunter Green Enforcer Kit on my 224 Valkyrie. Absolutely love it. You will too. Check out the Enforcer Kit at TimberCreekOutdoorsInc.com. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Two by two, Miss Jenny Jenkins. You know I wouldn't change things, even if I made it. So we take our time and skip around some. Smith, welcoming everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thanks so much for being here today. We've still got SCI's uh, Director of Governmental Affairs, Ben Cassidy, on the line. But before we get back into that discussion, this segment brought to you by All Seasons Smokers and Grills. They've got an entire lineup of everything from smokers to pellet grills. I mean, you name it. And, hey, if you just shot a bunch of dove like I did last week, nothing is better than bacon-wrapped dove poppers on the all-season smoker. You can find everything they have to offer at allseasonsfeeders.com. Well, let's pick it back up with Ben, who was nice enough to stick around through the break. And uh, as long as we're feeling generous, you know, giving credit to Biden, uh, we might as well do the same for Raul Grijalva. He's a congressman from Arizona, and he has drawn my ire Many times over the years, there's so many different things that animal rights activist type of legislation, anti-hunting legislation that this guy has drummed up. Uh, every time I see his name, I just cringe. But I read that he actually on like um, maybe it was called Endangered Species Day, something like that. He he um, drafted a bill that would focus on like, hey, let's not talk about wolves for once and let's focus on this endangered portus over here that no one gives a crap about right i think that's a good thing yeah like the non-iconics and not just always trying to find a way to politicize the esa Mm -hmm. i mean we talk about a small segment of it you know that drive campaign dollars to the other side rather than the full picture of you know the non-iconics that it actually focuses on but under raul grijalva he's actually the representative for our offices out in tucson and if he's listening today, you know, he's still invited to come visit our museum anytime. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's just an, an example of where, you know, maybe his attention and like his cohort's attention should be rather right. than politicizing 
instead of focusing on wolves and grizzlies and yeah all those uh those those ones that give the antis the warm fuzzy feelings when they see one and of course when those animals get sick then everyone comes to hospice they all sit around the little bed there and and the animal gets old and just dies of natural causes surrounded by its family right (laughs) Uh, what about what about mopani i think we avoided possibly like another cecil situation here yeah and i think i was actually in africa when this happened so it wasn't interesting uh 100 up to snuff on it but um anyway talk about the story itself and then how it's kind of like we learned from the previous situation with cecil how to respond when something like this happens yeah so i mean i guess starting point is i mean if you want to have a a named lion like really grab the attention maybe give it a a more cute british name like nigel or (laughs) cecil um not name it after a tree but last month the story broke where it always does over in the uk where they like to demonize hunters you know with misleading stories um talking about an american hunter that went over and killed you know the pride of the pride mopani um we started hearing a lot about it, obviously, um, but wanted to do some fact checking, you know, who was the hunter? Um, was it done legally? You know, so we work our back channels and. And where was the, Where did this hunt take place? You asked me right now. It's just slipping my head. I'm going to guess Zimbabwe. Yeah. Or Zambia. So say, so say, so yeah, and I know it's him. Yeah. Cause we were in touch with Zim Parks. Duh. Okay. Sorry. So yeah. Zimbabwe. Yep. Zimbabwe. Okay. So it takes place in Zimbabwe. So we see the story break. We want to make sure off the bat before we make any sort of statement that it was done legally. So we reach out to Zim Parks from Zimbabwe um, and they get back to us, you know, showing us documentation and everything, you know, and I ask them, are they going to put out a statement? They say, absolutely. You know, and in their statement that they put out publicly, I mean, a whole paragraph about how the lion wasn't collared, you know, there's no way to identify if its name was Mopani. And as a matter of fact, you know, we don't or name, Jim or we don't whatever. name our lions, Jim or Mopani or Nigel or Cecil, you know? So they made that point really clear, um, which, which was awesome. So have the facts behind it, you know, um, it was totally legally done. And then out of nowhere, you know, a freelance writer for Barstool Sports of all platforms, which is 11 million people on Instagram, writes this really poorly thoughtless kind of story about Mopane and how hunters are evil and hunters should be hunted, you know, not Mopane. Right. Because Mopane was set up to die in his hospice bed with all of his friends around him. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So so we'll call him Dante, right? That's his name. Uh And, you know, so we reach out to the editor for outdoor or for Barstool Outdoors, right? Sydney Wells over there. Yeah. That's that seems weird that they're going to post this smut piece on, you know, demonizing hunting while they've got a Barstool Outdoors outlet. Yeah. I mean, they're, they love their clicks, you know, and, and like these things can get clicks. So they let Dante do his thing, but we're, we're going to hold them accountable. And he was calling the, the hunter a poacher and all that. It's like, just not using the right language. So we got in touch with Sydney. who was fired up to begin with. She goes, I'm going to, I'm going to give a response. I'm going to like do it right. You know? So we directed her to our website where we have a whole page on international hunting and all the facts there, you know, and she was able to, to get a trove of information and wrote up a response piece, you know, followed up with a, a um, Twitter dialogue with Dante 
um, where, you know, he ended up tweeting, you know, my, my hands are up, you know, you've made great points and opened my eyes. I still don't agree with hunting, but this makes a lot of sense, you know, basically apologize and threw, threw up the flag. So her story came out, you know, she thanked us for um, the work we're doing, you know, over here at SCI, we track where stories are getting a lot of traction and if it's negative or positive and thing was peaking out, you know, really high at the time. And it came crashing down because you get the facts and then you correct the record on it. Um, puts you, puts you in a good situation, much better situation than we saw with Cecil, you know, playing out. I think Cecil single-handedly impacted international trophy hunting more so than probably anything else in my lifetime. Yeah. One specific animal and in a negative way. Yep. Um, so like really we can't afford to have more of those instances. So learning from that situation, how do we get in ahead of it, get in front of it, uh, to have the actual wildlife agency, the Zim parks come out and say, Hey, this is a legal hunt. That's, that's huge. So good, uh, good on us. Good on SCI for, for getting in front of that thing for it snowballed. Um, what about other things? that you guys discussed at the uh, recent board meeting. I know you just got back from that. Yeah. I mean, we're just looking back at highlights, you know, since our last board meeting at, uh, in the spring. So just a lot of the work that's gone on over the summertime. Right. I mean, we've just seen three trophy band attempts, you know, across the world that have been either defeated or neutered. You know, if you go to Brussels um, language was amended there to cut out trophy bands. That was a huge win um, in Sacramento the Iconic Species Act was introduced again by Stern, which used to include in it language to, to ban trophies. They took that language out because it wasn't palpable, even in the places, you know, bad as Sacramento. And then in Hartford, um, they ended up amending a similar trophy ban so aggressively that it didn't change anything. You know, uh -huh. um, it just it was a law that passed that didn't change anything. Fish and Wildlife still had um, deference on everything. Um, so huge win there. We've talked about it before, but just looking at, you know, keeping open those 40 million acres of access uh, for, for hunting caribou and moose in Alaska. I mean, that was, you know, sportsman's voice. And we were able to lead on that, staking out a position as, you know, insisting on a no net loss policy uh, for access for hunting on public lands. Um, you know, 40 million, if that had gone shut down, it would have really, um, it would have really brought 2.1 million acres of new access down to size, right? Mm -hmm. That would be a huge loss. Um, you do the math there. Um, well, it would have just set a horrible precedent. Oh yeah. You know, like, okay, here's, uh, the local people that live in this area decided, eh, we really want this just to be ours. And, right. and even though you own it, the American public, you no longer get to utilize it. If people could just do that, I mean, then what's next, uh, where I'm going hunting in New Mexico. Hey, we live on this mountain. We don't think you should come hunt here. Yep. They did and in Alaska, so we're going to try to do it here. A lot of the, the, the fees to hunt in Alaska are, you know, subsidized by non-resident non tags. You know, that's the yeah. price that's paid. It's subsidized, you know, with their conservation efforts there. Um, but talking about, you know, setting precedent, like we broke precedent where, you know, the, um, the Alaskan um, subsistence board um, had never had an open comment period for these sorts of decisions. And we just flooded them, you know, with the petition and strong testimony where they decided to have it, you know, be open. Mm -hmm. uh, and it ended up changing their minds. So, I mean, that Sportsman's United voice made a huge difference there. Right, right. 
Um, and then I just want to touch too, you know, on, on a Chipman, David Chipman, you know, ATF nominee, um, unprecedented. Um, you can call him by his real name. Bad egg. No, no, David Waco Chipman. <laughs> Waco Waco. Yeah. Um, unprecedented though, to have sportsmen step in and, and, and oppose, you know, like just taking it down to, he would hurt Pittman Robertson funds. He would hurt conservation funds. So you ended up seeing groups from, you know, Ducks Unlimited to the NRA, you know, with us in it, you know, opposing. We had thousands upon thousands of notes sent to senators, you know, from SCI. And did you said, see if BHA said anything about it? They did not. They were on, oh. they weren't on the big group letter, right? Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, to this day, he hasn't garnered the support to be non to, to, to go through and be confirmed. Um, we saw a couple of weeks ago, you may have still been in Africa, but all the gun grabbing groups, you know, they went to the White House with a number one priority for the White House to set up a gun violence office within the White House. And just having been around the block, you know, in DC for a bit, if you're an interest group, you have one priority that you ask the White House for. You don't go with two, mm -hmm. you know? And their priority up until a couple of weeks ago was for David Chipman to be the ATF director. And now with them signaling that they have a new priority kind of tells you what his fate is. Um, I don't know when we see it withdrawn, his nomination, not until they have someone else to, to backfill it, um, but he doesn't have the support. So he's hanging out in purgatory right now. And that's, I think, you know, greatly due. I mean, obviously NRA, NSSF, huge credit there. So, so you think that nomination's dead? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is great news. Yeah. That's great to see that we can still raise hell and accomplish things. Yeah. It, it's amazing. And I mean, it's, the I, I think we can do it. And being as close as it is, and you're able to, you know, meet with and talk with, you know, some of these key decision makers uh, makes a big difference. You know, Angus King not coming out in support, you know, from Maine. I mean, that's all it takes. Yeah. And what did, uh, has Manchin said anything publicly on Chipman? He didn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tired of being the guy that has to you know say everything let somebody else take the, yeah take the fall i mean every time he said he does something that is even could be considered pro second amendment the democrats just vilify him his own party throws him to the wolves yep uh but you know for him to take a stand against the second amendment would be political suicide because west virginians don't want to put up with that Right. They like their guns. No tolerance you know? there. Uh -uh. Right. So he's in, you know, I've often said on the show, I think he's the most powerful man in America right now. Right. I was going to say he's in a tough spot with a lot of, you know, you know, targets on him, but that's because he's in a good spot. Right. He is yeah. very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, good stuff on the, uh, the Chipman front then, because that would have been whew, like yeah. you and I had talked about all of those Pittman Robertson dollars. And the, the thing that a lot of people, you and I know it, and probably most people listening to the show. But if you're listening, tell your friends. Like Pittman Robertson is supported by non-hunters too. If your buddy shoots at the gun range, he's supporting hunting and conservation, whether he realizes it or not. And when someone like Chipman, if he would have, you know, if that nomination would have gone through or goes through, I mean, that's a loss for every, not just hunter, but gun enthusiast, every shooter, competitive shooter. Um, it would be devastating. Yep. AR-15, most popular gun in America. All those dollars taxed up. 
they go right to PR, whether mm-hmm. or not you're using it to get out and plank or hunt. Well, it's going to get a lot more expensive to do that now that Biden banned uh, Russian ammunition. So yeah, I know I've, I don't, I bought some of that wolf. I don't use it to hunt with. I haven't even shot it, but I, I bought a thousand rounds because I was like, oh yeah, I'd like to have a thousand rounds of cheap AR ammo and sure. just in case, you know, right. just in case I can't find it or be prepared fan or whatever. Have uh, a backup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, thanks for that, Biden. So um, anyway, great stuff, Ben. I'm I'm really excited about number one. I mean, that Mopani thing that could have just been terrible for us. So uh, again great job on that and uh we'll keep fighting these import bands and maybe someday i'll get my bonabuck back from south africa which is still sitting over there for some stupid reason can Uh, i touch on one thing yeah so yesterday um fish and wildlife moved to settle with the dc court to allow um namibian elephant permits that have been been held up with no good reason to Mm -hmm. be processed you know, we're, we're going to keep fighting to make sure that they're granted. But that settlement is a blueprint for species like the Bonabuck, which I still cannot answer why <laughs> the Bonabuck is held up the way it is, right? Yeah. But, it, you know, with the, with this Fish and Wildlife Service settling that way on elephants, I mean, that's the next ask. You know, well, yeah. it's other, okay, well, th- these are all Namibian, so other countries with elephants, but it's also... What's the deal with the bonabuck? <laughs> I mean, it's not even like a megafauna species. It's like the blessed buck's prettier cousin. Like, that's what it's beautiful, right? But it's if like, I had one, I'd be really upset that I don't have it. You know, dude, I it's mean, such a gorgeous animal. So cool. But I mean, it's just a plains game species that historically was almost hunted to extinction for meat hunting uh, due to their close proximity to Cape Town and how many people live there. Ranchers made a vested interest in bringing this species back. And um, it's totally recovered. I mean, you can see them everywhere now. Yep. So the fact that, like, historically, okay, it was in trouble, but here we are in 2021, and you still can't bring the damn thing home. For what reason? It's nuts. I don't think yeah. one's gotten in since 2017. Yeah. Just, uh, well, I, that's when I shot it. So, oh well, someday. Stay, just crossed. stay tuned for more on that front. I can't say anything else, but we're tuned in. Carl, my PH, told me, he's like, I think I'm just going to mount it and hang it in the lodge. I was like, I'm <laughs> damned if you oh, are waited this long. <laughs> oh, all right, Ben. Well, hey, always appreciate it, man. I encourage yeah. folks to check out SCI's website, safariclub.org. And the new page, one that I that I like, uh, the international page, international hunting page, that's a new edition. Yep. So folks can check that out. There's lots of great content, resources, links to articles on that page as well and uh yeah great stuff man i look forward to our next visit cable as always man really appreciate it great to see you again you too brother take care you too all right there he goes ben cassidy director of government affairs for sci Uh, he's certainly in the know on all things concerning hunting and conservation and the impact that it has on your rights in those realms so Appreciate Ben's time as always. That segment brought to you by StealthCam and the Reactor cell camera. When it comes to image quality and clarity from a cell camera, I haven't found one better. You can find the Reactor at StealthCam.com. Coming up next, some interesting technology that uh, you can use that might help you predict deer movement in your area. We discuss with Spartan Forge's Bill Thompson on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Where you gonna run when the river runs dry? Reach out your hand.
Hey guys, Cable here for Go Wild, a free social community built by hunters for hunters. None of that uh, Zuckerberg type censorship. That's right. It's a great place to meet folks, to learn tips about the outdoors, and share your experiences. On top of that, they are now selling gear from all of your favorite top outdoor brands. And you'll get 10 bucks just for setting up your account. That's free money that you can spend on any hunting or fishing related gear. So how do you take advantage of that perk plus unlock other rewards? Well, you just go to downloadgowild.com. That's downloadgowild.com. It's free, like I said. Sign up and I will see you over at Go Wild. Spawn is right around the corner. Your reels have been re-spooled and the tackle box is ready to roll. But the question is, can your truck handle another season of pulling your boat in and out of the water every weekend? Call David Boone at Third Coast Diesels. He'll make sure your truck is not what sinks your next fishing trip. Offering a widespread array of diesel parts and services, call 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com today. Star Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology has been helping me light up the night for over a decade. Uh, currently got two incredible units, the Helion 2.0 Thermal Monocular. You can detect things out in a field over a thousand yards. It's insanity. Plus, pairing that with a Thermion XP50 thermal rifle scope. Dude, it's like poor pigs, to be honest with you. Coyotes as well. It's uh, The technology alone has come so far in the last few years, and the price has gone down, so the working man can't afford it. The Thermion has internal recording. It has a diverse color palette. You want to do red hot, white hot, black hot, which is my favorite. You know, there's other ones as well. It's got too many to even count off the top of my head. It is the creme de la creme when it comes to thermal optics. It's the Thermion XP50. You can find it at PulsarNV.com. Everything's so great. Can't get better. Makes me want to cry. But I that's the wolves by mandolin orange bringing us back on sci's lone star outdoors show presented by mossberg firearms cable smith here with you today as always thank you so much for dropping by um this segment of the presentation is proudly brought to you by Pulsar Thermal Imaging and Night Vision Technology. If you haven't seen the Thermion 2.0, what in the world are you waiting for? Thermal prices have come down a lot too over the last decade. Um, the working guy can afford one. Save your pennies for a couple months, boom, you can get into a Thermion pretty easily. It's got a diverse color palette. It's got internal recording so you can watch your footage. You can transfer your footage to your phone or computer just like that. Oh, plus it's got an 1,800-yard detection range. It's the Thermion 2.0. You can find it at PulsarNV.com. Let's bring on our next guest, uh, joining us from maybe somewhere in the Dakotas. Um, he's got a new product out that I think you'll find very interesting as far as the technology behind it. It's my pleasure to welcome Bill Thompson, founder of Spartan Forge, to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Cable. 
My pleasure. My pleasure. We've got a lot to talk about today. Some exciting technology. I think a lot of, uh, well, any hunter is at least going to be curious about and want to take advantage of. So before we do that, though, talk a little bit about your background. You've got irons and a lot of fires. You were telling me last week you were helping, I think, your brother out with the fall harvest. So where, where are you and what have you been up to? Uh, I'm out in North Dakota right now, and I was, uh, yeah, helping out my sister um, and uh, family members doing, like, fall beasts out here in North Dakota, um, just like what we call pre-haul out here. I'm done doing that now, so right now I'm kind of focusing on, um, you know, building out futures for our application, but then also running some trail cameras. Our season opens here on Friday, so I'm going to hunt the opener over um, the weekend and uh see what i can get done for the first five or six days of the uh of the north dakota season and that's whitetail obviously yeah whitetail yep you got it archery okay um yep awesome and so talk a little bit about your military background as well because i think that's going to be um very important as we talk about spartan forge going forward yeah so i was in the military i retired actually three years ago after 21 years thank you for your service by the way Hey man, thanks for your patriotism. I appreciate that. It seems like it's getting more and more short supply these days. So when people thank me for my service, I make sure to thank them for their patriotism because it seems like I'm running into less and less patriots every day. I don't know, not to get uh, political here, but uh, it seems to be the case. <laughs> That's, you should have heard our show last week. Don't worry about politics on this show. They they know what they're <laughs> getting with me. So. Oh, yeah. That's good. It's so, good. Um, so yeah, I retired and um, about, I, I don't know, six years ago, I started well, I should finish on my military career. So inside of the military, I was a chief warrant officer. Uh, before that, I was an enlisted guy. All of my work's been military intelligence support, whether it's to like green army forces, to the special operations or special forces community um, and other, you know, three-lettered organizations in the DOD and outside of the DOD and uh, basically doing military intelligence collection and then uh, as it became a warrant officer, more advising in that capacity, doing everything from um, uh, signals intelligence to cyber intelligence, you know, all to support for the majority of my career, tactical commanders and decisions they make on the battlefield. So kind of as I was building these things and coming, along, coming up with new ideas and new ways to present, present data and to kind of make sense of the digital battlefield for commanders, uh, it, it, it occurred to me that a lot of these things had analogs in the military, that military intelligence um, had analogs in the hunting world because it's essentially both of them are trying to solve targeting problems. Mm -hmm. So as I continued to sell, solve targeting problems for military commanders, it uh, occurred to me that I could be solving these problems for hunters as well. So about six years ago, I started uh, going down this Spartan Forge route um, by collecting a bunch of collar GPS data and getting into the data science portion. And that kind of leads us where we are today. Wow. Okay. So a diverse background in Intel collection and data uh, stuff that is way over my head, but uh, I'm, I'm glad Mine too, here. So don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So there's a little bit about you Spartan forge. Very interesting. You walked me through the app prior to our conversation so i actually could see it firsthand it's it's out now in september it's available yeah it should be out there but you know pending any you know, horrible you know catastrophic issues which i don't see any uh we should be hitting the app stores around 15 september and we will be quickly doing updates after that uh your podcasts i kind of saved it for 
So most people, I would say 95% of the market doesn't know that we have mapping capability. So you're hearing it here first. Uh, our application will have mapping capability that uh, is comparable to whatever you know you see on the market, uh, plus all of the uh, weather analysis and deer herd and state herd analysis stuff that I just took you through, plus all of the artificial intelligence prediction. So yeah, we we're pretty excited about getting all of this out there. And um, the initial app will drop on the 15th, and then we will be doing um, a pretty interesting spin on property lines and kind of deconfliction of property lines and how kind of changing the way that we interact with each other and landowners as hunters. Um, and that's the first part of a two-part drop that we're calling Blue Force Tracker. And that'll be starting somewhere around the 21st of September, uh, maybe one October, but I'm aiming at 21 September and, uh, and then getting into more exciting releases throughout the season that have more of a focus as they drop later in the year. We'll have more of a focus on scouting. Okay. So I think the features aspect of the app was something that stood out to me. Um, you can go back and like historically look at uh, what the wind was doing on two weeks ago, four weeks ago, last year at the same time. So yep. I think the goal, I mean, the wind is just one thing, but all of these features combined, the goal is essentially, let me try to predict with everything, with all the data that I have, what a whitetail buck is going to do so that I can be in the best place possible to try to kill him. Yeah. It's basically just, Again, I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but it's it's a targeting problem. Mm -hmm. And inside of any targeting cycle, you have variables. And when it, you're concerning the white-tailed deer and the white-tailed deer's nose and their response to stimuli in their environment, it's identifying all of those weather variables and pattern variables and all of those things so that the hunter can make the most informed decision possible. Um, my thing is I'm trying to maximize the amount of time that people have at home, either with mama or with daddy, right at home. So that when they're going to go hunt, they've identified all of the variables and they've made the right decision. And today is the best day to do it. So they're not wasting their time. And, yeah, and that's sure. kind of what the app is trying to do is solve all of those problems so that people are only going to the field when they need to, or when they can, and they're not wasting or burning vacation or time away from their family. Well, and I think there's another, um, aspect of that as well you've got a small property the less foot traffic you're putting in there you know the less pressure those deer are feeling feeling the, the more likely when you are in there you're going to run into that uh that that mature buck precisely so, yeah no that's a great point um this thing even has like the different brows and food that you would expect yep. to find by region how yep. do you how do you come up like how do you build all of this so much data uh i mean how do you go about even tracking like okay well north dakota they're eating x uh south texas they're eating mesquite beans like how do you how do you how does the computer how do you how do you categorize all of that information so that was about three years of digging around on the internet and talking to local hunters and white wild white uh, excuse me white tail biologists mm -hmm. reading deer reports um it was just a ton of data and really at it's the top of that value hierarchy. What's that? I said it's a little overwhelming. It's terribly overwhelming. Like I said, it was about three and a half. It was about three and a half years of work, but it was essentially uh -huh. finding peer reviewed papers, you know, 
talking to biologists that are doing things like examining, you know, the gut biome or they're opening the deer up and saying, this is what they're spending the most of their time in these situations and going out and finding as close to regional pictures as we can of those, of those, you know, orbs or that those, those flowering plants or whatever it is that those deer, those eating those area. And again, it's just, you know, a lot of guys don't think about what native fescue looks like, or a lot of guys or gals aren't thinking about this is what the forb is in this area that deer like to eat on, or this is, you know, this is what a cedar tree looks like in North Dakota versus what it looks like in Pennsylvania. And again, it's just, we're not taking the woodsmanship out of it, right? Because you still have to get on the ground and go scout and find these things. Mm -hmm. But instead of having to Google it or look it up and, and find it in your area, we're just kind of making that data more centrally available. Uh-huh. Okay. And what are some of the other features? We talked about weather. We talked about food. Yeah, I would say the biggest feature of this or what's different, what really differentiates us from the from everyone else on the market right now is, uh, is our prediction piece, which is essentially, it predicts against two, it predicts against movement and it predicts against pattern. So when the hunter is looking at their area on the map, then they bring up the forecast feature. And inside the forecast feature, there is prediction. And it basically is saying there's two buckets that you can think of. The first bucket is movement. And inside of that movement bucket, it's basically during daylight hours, is there a good chance that general deer will be found only in their core bedding area? Will they be found in their transition area? Or could they be found anywhere in their full range? So that's kind of the first prediction piece that, that, that the neural network outlines. And the second thing it looks at is, all right, is our pattern going to be normalized? Is it going to be abnormal or very abnormal? So, you know, the way I think about pattern and the way I explain it to people is basically if you hunt a food plot and the deer approach from the east, they feed and then move out to the north. And that's what they do consistently. That would be their normalized pattern. But if you're sitting on stand one day and then all of a sudden they come from the southwest part of the field, that would be an abnormal pattern. Um, and then a very abnormal pattern would be, all right, they're not hitting a field that 95 percent of the time gets hit you know, every evening because it's being left alone. Uh, there's, it's got a lot to do with wind, but there are other factors that influence whether or not the deer thinks that the, that the environmentals are right and that they can use the wind and the ther thermal generation and the cover to their advantage to hit a particular area to feed or to mate. And, and that basically what we've done is compiled. Now, I think we're at about 1500 years of collared GPS data. So that means mm -hmm. if you were to add every one of the collars up and how long they are running on the deer's neck. We're at about 1500 years. And we've got that from about 75% of the deer states that have white-tailed deer in them. So we take all of this data and then we train a neural network and the neural network says, okay, I think I've got the patterns of movement and the patterned data figured out. And then it makes predictions on future states. So that's kind of like the biggest difference is we take that artificial intelligence and then we nest it inside of all of those other things that we were just talking about. And then we throw that on the map. And what we're trying to do is, you know, again, aid hunters and making sure that when they go afield, they have all of the information they need to make an informed decision and, and hopefully, you know, put meat on the table. Mm -hmm. And I mean, obviously you can mark um, tree stand here. I saw X buck here. What about yep. the cell camera technology? How does that um, interplay with Spartan Forge? Well, at, right now it doesn't, but in uh -huh. the future, we see ourselves getting to a state where um, that data will be 
you know, automatically getting input into a localized prediction that the user has. So whether it's with our own camera or we partner with a camera company and we are right now in the middle of those opportunities trying to figure out which one is the best for us. But essentially, you can think of a situation where, you know, you own, let's just say you own 100 acres or you hunt a 100 acre public property. You go and deploy two or three cell cameras. They get registered with the application. The application starts with a baseline of how it generally understands movement in the area. But now it's taking all of the movement and all the pictures that it's taking of deer in the daylight and the, and the crepuscular hours of, you know, the morning or the afternoon as the transition from day or night to day and then day to night happens. And it's recognizing more patterns about when the deer are showing up and they're vulnerable or they're showing in, during daylight hours. And then it tethers that neural network prediction uh, to that individual area. But then on a larger scale, it's looking at all of these things nationally. And then say you're not a guy who can afford five or six cameras um, and all you can do is afford the $20 app. Well, now you're, you, you'll have a situation where even though you can't access the cameras, if there are 30 cameras in the area where you hunt that other users have deployed, you're still getting that neural network prediction. You're not able to see their data or what's right. being generated, but the guy who doesn't have, or the gal that doesn't have a ton of money to spend on those cameras and the monthly subscriptions can still benefit from the data without violating the person's data that put it out there. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Well, Bill, let's work in a quick break here. We'll come back and I want to get into the ethics of such advanced technology. Does it take the sporting nature out of the hunt altogether? Um, I think it's a fair question. So we'll get your take on that. And then also some of the advanced imagery that you can get of your property uh, based off of your technology. Um, all those things coming at you next. That segment brought to you by the Palisade Puffy Jacket from Numa Outdoors. It's a lightweight, packable, and extremely warm jacket. The outer shell is durable and water repellent. It's going to be what I'm uh, wearing in New Mexico next week. And uh, a good puffy, man, that also doubles as a great pillow when you're counting every ounce. Check it out. It is the Numa Palisade Puffy. You can find it at numaoutdoors.com and save 20% when you use that promo code Lone Star 20 We'll be right back with more from Spartan Forge's Bill Thompson on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. If we make it through December Everything's gonna be alright, I know It's the coldest time of winter And I shiver when I see the falling snow Did you know Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping people finance their own slice of paradise for over 100 years? Whether you're looking for a place to go hunting, fishing, maybe you fancy yourself as a rancher and you want to run cattle, they've got you covered there as well. Or, hey, the world's getting crazier by the minute. Maybe you just want to get the hell out of the big city, whether that's on the weekends or for good. Lone Star Ag Credit has you covered. Like I said, they've been at it for over 100 years. They can make that dream a reality when it comes to you acquiring that rural property that you've always wanted. You can find them at LoneStarAdCredit.com. I heard I was a wild one and then I could child some, but I really don't recall. I heard I was a fast one, always was a last. 
Osborne bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks for dropping by today. We've still got Spartan Forge's Bill Thompson on the line, and we're going to get back into this, I'm going to call it breakthrough deer hunting technology. Uh, but before we do that, this segment of the show proudly brought to you by SCI. The worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'm a proud member. You should be as well because nobody's doing more when it comes to protecting your rights as a hunter. I guarantee you that. For more information, head over to safariclub.org. And with that being said, let's pick it back up with Bill Thompson of Spartan Forge. And I think, Bill, the question has to be asked. So what would you say, and, and I'll play the devil's advocate here, but what would you say to someone who thinks this technology pushes the envelope too far on what they perceive to be ethical hunting by you know taking the sporting nature of our pastime out of the equation yeah i mean i would say that conversation should have started when we had a god's eye view of the world mm -hmm. which is what we get whenever we have like an onyx maps or something like that we have a we have a god's eye understanding in a way that no one's ever had of the world ever before it's a valid point um, but there's kind of two ways that I attack that question. I guess the first way is if a guy's hunting to put food on the table, which was certainly a situation for me, especially when I was a lower enlisted guy, um, I want every capability possible in the pocket of that person to make sure that when it's time to get food on the table, that they're getting meat on the table, right? Like that's, and, and being where I'm from in North Dakota, people hunt their meat and that's exclusively their diet. So when it's that situation, I want them to have as much capability as possible. Um, I'm not I'm not prepared to weigh the ethics of hunting animals versus a child starving. So when it comes to like hog hunting at night or whatever you want to talk about, I want to give hunters as much capability as is as ethical in the confines of the law, if that makes sense. On the Absolutely. opposite side of on the opposite side of that, from a fair chase perspective. I really see this as having as being no different than having access to, you know, let's say Fred Bear was your uncle in the 80s, right? Um, is it ethical to have a Fred Bear? <laughs> is, it, is it ethical to be friends with that guy? And he's going <laughs> to tell you where all the best stands are, and he's going to take you out into the woods and put you on the biggest deer? Or would you say that's an unethical relationship? So my my from my relationship, right? Exactly. <laughs> and so from my perspective is that's like a grandfather, right? Like if you've got a grandpa who's hunted, you know, the same 75 acres for 60 years and he knows where all of those deer move on that property. And that's why he's built stands in the trees. Um, you know, I always tell people when they're scouting a new property, if they see a wooden stand put up in the tree, somebody risked their neck to go and build that stand in the tree for a reason. So you ought to go and hunt that tree. Um, and to that point, I would say, we are digitizing the reasoning process that like a father or a grandfather or a grandmother that's been hunting a property forever would go through. And we're essentially getting it to people who might not have access to those types of relationships and might not have the time to develop that kind of tacit knowledge on their own. So, you know, to me, it's not like we're saying deer is in field. What we're saying is generally deer are in this field and that's something you can learn on your own, but, uh, if you don't have the vacation time or you're working 60 hour weeks um, and you just want your, you know, you've got seven days of vacation and three of those are claimed. And now you've got four. I want to make sure that your four days of vacation are well thought out and that you're getting in the field when it's the best time possible. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think that's a great answer to uh, a uh, touchy subject. So, um, and it's not yeah. touchy for me, dude. One of my favorite things to do is is open up my Stealth Cam app and look at my six cameras. And hey, the hogs are at this feeder. They've been there. Like I know right now, I could go to the deer lease tomorrow, and between eight and eight thirty, fifteen hogs will be there. Hey, yep, I like that. You know, yep. you still have to yeah. go sit your ass in the blind and actually shoot them. Yeah, and you still have to practice. You still have to make an ethical shot. You still need to be quiet. You still, all of the play the wind, all that there. stuff. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. It's all there. But uh, but I love it, and and also I I think for like with the trail cameras and as my kids get older, Spartan Forge technology, they love looking at that stuff too. It gets them interested in hunting. Like Dad, what buck was that? Was that the the feeder in the East Wheat Field last night? I want to see it. I want to see it. And of course, the Precisely. cameras are all named after the kids, you know. So they got their own cameras, and uh, that's fun. Oh yeah, they love it. And then they com- they compare, and they're like, "Ah, oh, there's a bigger buck at my feeder than there's at yours." They don't have any feeders. <laughs> they only, they, only one of them's even shot a deer, but they, you know, they think that it's their camera and their feeder, and they all they get competitive, and it gets them excited about, you know, it gets them invested in hunting, even though they don't even yep. realize it yet. So, good, good, uh, bad, or indifferent, cell phones are here to stay. Right. And, and so if, and if we want to get the future generations interested in it, you know, we need to, we need to make the technology more, yeah, it has to be able to be interacted with. And if we're not going to do that, then we're going to, we're going to see hunting numbers continue to dwindle. And people might say, again, the, the harsher critics might be like, well, I'm fine if the numbers go down. And it's like, well, you say that until there aren't enough hunters to vote for more public land access. And you're seeing your hunting opportunities dwindle because we don't have politicians representing our interests. Or, so to me, yeah. Or, or Pittman-Robertson dollars going down the crapper because, right. you know, that's what funds conservation across the board, generally speaking. Uh, less hunters, less dollars. What loses the wildlife? So. Yep, precisely. And, and, and to me, it's uh, I, not only do I want to keep the younger generations interested, um, but I also want to push this to a point where we have enough people doing this that there's tax money and revenue and interest being generated to secure public land and public land access in the future. Being a military guy for the past 21 years, with the exception of like my um, family farm that's about 70 acres, I've hunted pretty much exclusively public land uh, my entire military career. And uh, it wouldn't have been possible to do that if people weren't voting for politicians that were interested in maintaining public land access. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. Well, fascinating stuff. The app is, you said, $20. Yeah, it's going to be 20 bucks for like your base, um, you know, your, your Onyx-like features or your hunt stand or base map-like features, uh-huh. you know, placing pins, rudimentary weather stuff, Um we're going to do property lines for free. We're not going to overcharge people for property lines. So like all of that stuff is going to be about 20 bucks. And then when you start getting into the analytics that require a lot of data, a lot of storage, you want to do the journaling feature. You want to do the diary stuff you want to do, you know, you want to look at the past 30 years of weather in the Southwestern part of Missouri, or you want the artificial intelligence doing prediction on where to scout or when to hunt. Uh, there'll be a higher price associated with that. And essentially what I'm trying to do right now is figure out what my AWS, my Amazon web services bill is going to be month to month. And that's going to drive that second tier price. Okay. 
One other interesting thing that you mentioned was like, say you want a photo of what your property looked like six months ago. You could get that. If you want, um, you know, what your yeah. property looks like today, you could literally special order from the satellite that specific photo. Yep. So we're testing those features and continuing to develop them right now. That one I see being on the market safely by November, uh -huh. but essentially you'll be able to go through a back catalog of imagery that was shot of your area and order customized imagery. And that's very, very, very cheap price. So take, for instance, you're located somewhere like, I don't know, let's just say Southern Maryland. Um, and you've only got about a month time period or two month time period where there's no leaves on trees and all of your access or all of your land has the imagery is all leaf on and you really can't make, you know, heads or tails of the area. Um, you can go back and for, you know, a few hundred acres, it'll be like six bucks or something. And you can order, you know, one March imagery from that area and then have that display inside of your map. And then if you cool. are psychotic like me and you want to task your own imagery, you can spend a little bit more money and you can actually have the satellite go and snap pictures on the date that you wanted to snap pictures. Huh. Wow. <laughs> That's cool. So complete customization there. Complete yeah. customization. And again, it's, I don't expect everyone to use the ladder mm -hmm. there. Like I don't expect everyone to go out and task, organize a satellite to go and grab imagery. But like, if you are managing a large whitetail operation in South Texas, and it's worth it to you to get date from a specific or imagery from a specific time or say you put a new field in or you cleared cut an area and you want that updated imagery for your customers, you're going to be able to go out and request that imagery from a specific day. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, this has been uh, certainly eye-opening as we continue to, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say push the envelope on technology, but just find out where that intersection of, of, us as hunters and available technology, how do we use it? How does it, how do we um, use it to our advantage to make us more effective in the field and less days hunted, less pressure on the animals, all that stuff comes into play here. Uh, so pretty exciting. And to think that it came from a, a military background is, uh, is pretty cool as well. So thanks again for your service. Uh, 21 years in the military. We certainly appreciate that. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate your service or your service. I pre appreciate your patriotism is what I always try to say back to people. Cause as I said before, um, it seems like there are less and less people who are willing to say those words, maybe not in Texas, <laughs> which is why I'm actually looking hard at moving out there. But, um, uh, certainly, uh, on the East coast where I was, you're just as likely to get someone to say <laughs> the opposite of thank you for your service, um, as yeah. you are to get them to say thank you for your service. So I appreciate that. Yeah, well, and just seeing what uh, I think it's paramount right now too, seeing what what's going on um, in Afghanistan and and that whole mess. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I don't know if you, I don't, I don't know if we're friends on Facebook or not, but I just made a post about it yesterday. It's like everyone's always looking for cause and reason to get behind, you know, these rights organizations. It's like I can't think of a better time to get behind a women's rights organization right now than in Afghanistan. It's like if there's anybody who needs help on that front, I mean, I, I, I say this it's from the heart because, you know, I deployed out there um, and Iraq and Africa and the southern Philippines. You know, a lot of people don't even know we were in sustained combat operations out in the southern Philippines. But um, I was out there with First Special Forces Group. Um, and uh, those are those those are places where women's rights advocates are sorely needed. 
And it seems like nobody is saying anything about the oppression that's going on in those places. So uh, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to politically stump here. Oh, that's okay. Um, but I think everyone uh-huh. can agree that that is a place where, you know, we really need awareness. You know, there was a TikToker killed out there a few days ago by the Taliban because he made the wrong jokes about the Taliban leadership. So they yeah. took him and killed him. I mean, that to me, that guy's face should be on every social media account in the U.S. right now. And no one's talking about it. You're not even seeing it in the news. And that just blows my mind. I saw they killed a folk singer, too, yesterday because music's like uh, forbidden. Yeah. So they went to his house and shot him in the head. So, yeah, you're not modulating your vocal cords the right way. And therefore, you must die. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I I can't think of a more anti-American sediment. And people seem to think it's fine that we're just entertaining these people. So people Mm -hmm. didn't come here to hear me talk about this. But the important part here is I appreciate your patriotism <laughs> and I hope more people say that to, you know, the men and women of our armed forces when they, when they interact with them. Well, we appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on and uh, look forward to seeing how all this technology progresses. Absolutely, brother. I appreciate you having me on. Stay in touch. All right. There he goes. Bill Thompson of Spartan Forge and you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and then obviously the website. That segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. With locations in San Antonio and Marion, Texas, Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of all of my trophy mounts for over a decade. Maybe be like 12 years. Hell, it's been a long time. I trust them. They do amazing work, and they do it quickly. Plus, they answer the phone when I call. Imagine that. A novel concept for a taxidermist. You can find them at gr, the number 8, mounts.com. Unfortunately, looking at the clock, we got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Bill, as well as our other guest today, Ben Cassidy of SCI. Thanks to you guys and gals for being a part of today's presentation. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Couldn't do it without their support. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying thanks for listening to SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Y'all have a great week in the outdoors.